this has been an incredible week. It's been a busy week, um, but I want you to know that I had my birthday this past week, so I'm standing up here a little wiser, okay? <laughs> so if I look wiser, don't be surprised, okay? <laughs> if I sound wiser, I'm going to be shocked. <laughs> no, uh, God is good, and you know, um, it's funny because I've, for a lot of my life, I was really, I used to joke that I had a birth month, not a birthday. And uh, man, I celebrated all month long, and everybody around me knew that it was my birth month, you know, that I needed more than a day to celebrate. But you know, the older I get, the less birthdays are really important. You're just thankful you had another one, you know. <laughs> but uh, it's really good. It was really just a wonderful day of um, just kind of celebrating with, you know, our kids and family and uh and lots of nice birthday wishes, so thank you to all of you for the, the messages that you sent. It's very humbling to think that people know who you are, <laughs> you know. And, uh, but it's been, it's been a good week. It's been a, um, it's been a good year. And I'm really excited about what God has in store for us. You know, when we decided to do this series this summer, on actually, I think I recommended to Dallin, oh, we should do the Beatitudes. Like, this would be good, you know. And so when we sat down and, you know, decided that we would allow just different members of the MIT to share over this next past, next few weeks, um, you know, Alice, once you speak one week, I'm like, okay. So we started picking and I decided to do blessed are the pure in heart. Well, it, it sounded good at the moment when I picked it, when I selected that one. And it, when I started preparing I had flashbacks, believe it or not, they were long flashbacks, back to my eighth grade year of that science project when, you know, you choose to do the hard thing instead of the simple thing, you know? And uh, I just remember thinking, like, it, like this is hard. <laughs> Blessed are the pure in heart. This is a lot tougher than what I thought it was going to be. Kind of like, you know, when you pick that, that science project where you thought, I'm going to do the exploding volcano, and when you got into it, wish you'd pick the styrofoam ball you know, the solar system, you know? <laughs> like, why did I not pick blessed are those who hunger and thirst, you know, or blessed are the meek, you know, blessed are the pure in heart. But you know what? I, as I really dove into this, God really <clears throat> spoke some things to my heart. And I wanted to kind of give you a little bit of, like, introduction or a little bit of more text around the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are really a part of a greater sermon that Jesus preached that is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And if you really want to read the Sermon on the Mount, it is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Now this was not a half hour sermon. This was not a Jake sermon, okay? <laughs> not in and out in 20 minutes, okay? This was a sermon, okay? So I encourage you over the next week, take some time to go read the Word of God. Get into the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes are really just like the introduction to a greater sermon. But there's so much packed into just these, these little phrases that Jesus gives to us. And that's the thing about the Word of God. They are like nuggets, Okay, they are nuggets, and it's almost like, have you ever gone panning for gold? You know, as a kid, you go to those little tourist places where you get the little pan, and you're shaking it and stirring it, and, and you see this little glimmer of what they tell you is gold, you know? But as a child, you walk around with your little vial, and you're like, look at my gold, you know? <laughs> or you watch those gold mining shows, you know, and it's like, it's just, 
these are nuggets, and sometimes nuggets aren't always on the surface. Sometimes nuggets have to really be shaken and stirred to really allow it to rise up and to really become what God wants it to be in our life. And so the Sermon on the Mount is really an interesting message, but the Beatitudes, like I mentioned, are like the introduction. And so I want to start by reading in Matthew 5, verse 1. And I'm sorry, I'm getting hoarse because I got a little crazy in worship this morning, so (laughs) bear with me. I just, sometimes I don't care. You know what? I'm just going to give it all I got, and that's what happens is I lose my voice. But in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside, and he sat down. Jesus went up, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying... And this was kind of an interesting thing, because when you think about the whole... There's a crowd, there's a crowd around him, and he goes up on the mountainside, which is really, if you think about it, it's pretty smart, because in those days, they didn't have lapel mics, or they didn't have sound systems, so they had to use really the natural setting of what was around them. So if he went up, he could project louder to where more people could hear what he was saying. And so, but the other thing that's kind of interesting to me in this verse is that it says he sat down. It's almost like he was getting comfortable, like he knew he was about to preach five, six, and seven chapters to them. And so he sat down, but really what that is, is it really was the posture in those days of what a teacher. And so he sat down with the intention that he was about to teach something to the disciples. And disciples in here in this word is referred to those that are there to learn. So learners. Now it doesn't mean that everybody in that crowd that that day was a disciple, but there were some there that were ready to learn. And so the teacher sat ready to teach. And so this morning, that's what we're going to do. We're here because we want to learn about the Beatitudes. So really, what are the Beatitudes? The Beatitudes describe the blessedness of those who have certain qualities or experiences peculiar to those belonging to the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are. This section opens with a series of a short two-line statements commonly referred to as the Beatitudes or a blessed, the, a Latin word for blessed. In present day English, blessed is probably not best described as blessed, but more as happy. Jesus is not making a formal declaration of divine favor, but rather announcing the true happiness of those who live according to the life of the kingdom. So I want to encourage you, as mentioned earlier, to take time this week And not just read the Bible, but study the Bible. If you don't own a study Bible, I encourage you to get one. Because there, like I mentioned, there are nuggets of truth in here. And it's more about than just reading, but it's getting an understanding of really what Christ is saying to us, what Jesus is speaking into our life. And so I want to encourage you over the next few days, take time to really get into God's word and allow his words to really sink deep into your heart. So we're going to do this today. We're going to take time to dissect this little verse, these 11 little words of blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. We're going to dissect it. We're going to really get a little more depth into what Jesus was saying here in this verse. But before we begin that, I want to pray. So let's all bow our heads together. Father, we are here today for you. We are here because we love you because we want to obey you. 
And Lord, I pray today as we sit in your presence that your words would just come heavy upon our heart. Lord, that we would hear you with clarity. God, that we would hear your voice, that we would know your heart today, Jesus. That we would know these words, God, that these were not just words that were spoken to the disciples in that day with you sitting on that mount. But Lord, you are speaking them to us today, that blessed are. God, that we would know that we are the people, God, that you are still speaking blessed are to today. And God, I pray, open our hearts, open our understanding. God, open our spirit today, Lord, to receive all that you have. In your name we pray. Amen. Come on now. Amen. 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 All right, there's three things I want to talk about today in this verse. I want to focus on three words. I want to talk about heart, pure, and see. So let's begin by taking a look and consider what is the heart? What exactly is the heart that Jesus is referring to? Well, we all have one, don't we? If someone falls to the ground and collapses, what's the first thing they do? They go check for a pulse, don't they? First thing an expectant mother does when she goes to the doctor, she wants to hear the heartbeat of that baby, doesn't she? Because what does that mean? It means that there's life, that there's life there. <clears throat> People often think that the head with its brain is the center and directs our decisions and activity. But the Bible tells us that the heart is the wellspring of life in Proverbs 4.23. That the heart is the center of our intellect. We know this because it says in the word of God that people know in their hearts in Deuteronomy 8, 5. That they pray in their hearts in 1 Samuel 1, 12, and 13. They meditate in their hearts in Psalms 19, 14. They hide God's word in their heart in Psalms 119, 11. They devise plans in their hearts in Psalms 140 and 2. They keep words in their heart in Proverbs 4.21. They think in their heart in Mark 11.23. They doubt in their heart in Mark 11.23. They ponder in their heart in Luke 2.19. They believe in their heart in Romans 10.9. And they sing in their heart in Romans, Ephesians 5.19. All of these actions of the heart are primarily issues involving the mind. The heart is also the center of our emotions because the Bible tells us that there is a glad heart in Exodus 4.14, a loving heart in Deuteronomy 6.5, a fearful heart in Joshua 5.1, a courageous heart in Psalms 27.14, a repentant heart in Psalms 51.17, an angry heart in Proverbs 12.25, a delighted heart in Jeremiah 15.16, a grieving heart in Lamentations 2.18, a humble heart in Matthew eleven twenty nine, an excited or burning heart in Luke twenty four thirty two, a troubled heart in John fourteen and one, and all of these actions are of the heart are primarily emotional in character. The heart is also the center of the human will. And the Bible speaks about the heart that is yielded to God in Joshua 24, 23. The heart that intends to do something in 2 Chronicles 6, 7. The heart that is devoted to seeking the Lord in 1 Chronicles 22, 19. The heart that decides in 2 Chronicles 6, 7. The heart that, des that desires to receive from God in Psalms 21, 1 through 2. The heart that is turned to the statutes of God in Psalms 119.36 and the heart that wants to do something in Romans 10 and 1. All of these activities take place in the human will. 
So what do we know about the heart? We know that the heart is our intellect, it's our emotions, and it's our will. The heart is what you are in the secrecy of your thoughts and your feelings when nobody knows but God. And what you are at the invisible root matters as much to God as what you are at the visible branch. Verse 16, 7 says, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. From the heart are all the issues of life. So the first thing that we learn from this beatitude is that Jesus is concerned with the condition or the state of our heart. That he's, con he's concerned about our intellect, our will, and our emotion, which is our heart. It's not enough to clean up our act on the outside, but what he's concerned about is the shape of what's going on in the inside of us. The second word I want to talk to you about today is the word pure. What is this purity that Jesus is speaking of? Being pure in heart refers, involves having a singleness toward God. A pure heart has no hypocrisy, no guile, no hidden motives. The pure heart is marked by transparency and an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. I want to say that again. It's marked by transparency and an uncompromising desire to please God in all things. Not some things, but in all things. Alan and I recently, I don't know how many of you are aware, we sold our home, and we decided we were ready to do some downsizing, which meant we got rid of a lot of Alan's <laughs> stuff, because I don't own stuff. <laughs> I can tell you with that's truth, that it is Alan's stuff. Uh, but anyway, we, so in our move, we decided that we would kind of replace a few things that we've had for a while. So we decided we would buy new bath towels. So I know that doesn't sound like a big deal, but we go to the store, and, we're, and we are both drawn to the same towel. And on the shelf, I mean, you're talking like rows of, of towels, but we're standing in front of these big, thick, beautiful, fluffy, white towels. Now, for most of our married life, which is a long time, it'll be 38 years we've been married in August, we have never owned white towels, and there's a reason, because we had kids. <laughs> so we all know what happens to beautiful, white, fluffy, white towels when you have children. They don't stay that color. But hey, we're adults, and we don't have kids at home, so we decided we're buying them. We're doing it. We put them in the cart, and we paid for them, got them home. I took the tags off, and I'm placing them on the shelf, and then I take the little hand towels and I nicely fold them into the, you know, the little holder, the, the towel holder. So, you know, I got it all set up, and it looks great, and they're so they're so soft and so fluffy, like, what a good purchase. You know, this is a good idea. And it wasn't too long, I come back through the bathroom, I looked over, and I looked at the hand towel, and I was like, ah, what happened to my beautiful, white, fluffy, beautiful, clean towel? It got used. And it wasn't so beautiful and white anymore. And I, at that point, I thought, hmm, this is going to be hard. <laughs> it's going to be a little harder than what I thought, you know, because I'm thinking, we're just, we're so neat and clean. It was funny because I wouldn't use one for the longest time. I kept using my old gray towel because I didn't want to get them dirty. <laughs> but the first time I go to wash them, I realized this was not just going to be an average wash, like, you know, throw the laundry detergent in, the softener, and go off. I thought, no, no, I need to put a little more thought into this. So in goes the bleach, because they're dirty. And not warm water, but hot. 
And even though it was a little bit more effort, I remember when I opened up that dryer, there was those beautiful, white, fluffy, clean towels. <laughs> so it was a little bit of a work. It was a little bit of, a, a little more of in the process, but they were so beautiful and clean again. Purity is more, what Jesus is talking about is more than an external purity of behavior. He's talking about an internal purity of our soul. The reason that we struggle with purity is that we have allowed the world to define this word for us. We've allowed them to define what is pure. And I think it's because we're not comfortable with the word pure. I'm not comfortable with the word pure because it's hard. It's hard. And I don't know if I could ever tell you I've gone a day and been what I would really say would be considered pure in the sight of God. Because it's hard. It's hard. So I think sometimes we've allowed the world to take the word pure and to replace it with goodness. Because goodness is an easier word. It's an easier word to achieve on our own. So if I was to ask you today, including myself, are you a good person? I, I would raise my hand because I think I'm a good person. I do good things. I'm kind. I'm giving. I come to church, point. I sing really loud during worship, two points. I get a little crazy up there in that front row, extra point for that. I brought my Bible to church. I volunteered in the nursery last Sunday. I should get real bonus points for that. But what these are, these are not, this is not purity. Those are good things that we do. These are religious acts, but they're not bad. They are good. It's good that we do them. It's good that we're here. It's good that we sing. It's good that we worship. It's good that we serve. These are good things, but these are not, these are not things that make us pure. Skip Moen wrote this in an article I read about this verse in chapter eight, in verse 8. He said, Jesus wasn't extolling ritual religion. He was saying something far more unbelievable. He was saying that none of the rituals were good enough if they did not produce a clean heart. Of course they couldn't make a heart clean. Nothing on this earth can. Can a man be more pure than his maker? Mark 10, 18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good but God alone. I don't know about you, but I don't feel so good when I measure myself up next to God. Because we have to first come to God and, and always suspect our own righteousness, our own goodness. We always have to be suspect of our own righteousness. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags the best of what I can do, the very best of who I can give, the very best of how I can serve. It is nothing compared to who he is. It's like filthy rags. It's like it, it just doesn't even begin to compare to God and his goodness. The only way we can truly be pure in our heart is to give our lives to Jesus and to ask him to do the cleansing work. Psalms 51.10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, 
and renew a steadfast spirit within me. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot, we cannot achieve a pure heart without God. We do not have the ability to forgive our own sins. John 1.29 is where John the Baptist sees Jesus and he exclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A pure heart is when we come to God and we come to him without any motive or without any excuses. That we just come how we are. You know, it's, it's funny. We don't live in a, in a society where, where it's like, I feel like that we don't take ownership. Like, I know a lot of times I have a tendency to take too much ownership, I feel like, because that sometimes has got me in trouble in the corporate world. <laughs> because that's not how people are. People are about covering up their own, their own situation to protect themselves. But that's not how we can come to God. When we come to God, it's not like, well, God, it's because, or but, or they, or them, or he, or she, or... It's about me. And all I can do is come honest. It's coming quiet and open, humble, willing, acknowledging that I can't, but, but saying that he can and letting him do the work. This is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing, but it's coming to the Father on a daily basis and allowing him to search us his presence to wash over us and to renew us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So finally, what does it mean to see God? I love this part. I love it where it says, they will see God. It doesn't mean maybe, or it's a possibility, but it's a promise. It's a promise that we will see God. You know, when I was in third grade, I was having trouble seeing the chalkboard. I don't know, do they still use chalkboards in school, I think, or is it all whiteboards now? But anyway, I could not see the chalkboard. And I remember going home and telling my mom that I couldn't see the chalkboard. I would squint and I would look and could not see what was going on. And my mom didn't believe me. I don't know why. <laughs> I just don't know why. But you know, I don't know if they still do this or not, but in school they used to give us that hearing test and that vision test. You remember that? Those of you that are around my age, we, they used to do that in school. And I failed it. I failed the eye test. And I took that note home to my mom, like, see, I told you. <laughs> she, I don't know if she still believed me. I think she was still kind of doubting it. But anyway, she takes me to the eye doctor, and sure enough, I did need glasses. And I remember the first time, and it wasn't like, you know, get your glasses in 24 hours. You had to wait, you know. So I remember getting those glasses and putting them on, and all of a sudden, everything that had seemed blurry, that I couldn't see clearly, it came into focus. And wow, wow, the things that I was missing because I wasn't seeing clearly, the things that I just couldn't understand because I was trying to see it through, like, without the right lenses. I needed assistance in really being able to see what was in front of me or around me or to understand what was happening. Skip Moen also said this in the same article I referred to earlier. He said, we will certainly experience a greater joy in our lives when we have confessed our sin, 
and draw near to God and seek to live his way rather than ours. We will see God in the sense that we can more clearly understand his plans for our lives and walk in a way that pleases him and helps others. Something about coming to Jesus puts us back in focus. Those things that are seem a little that we don't understand or we're not seeing clearly, when we come into the presence of God, they become clear. And you think about how many things that we miss because we are not seen through God's eyes. That God is around us. You know, this, this is such an incredible verse and it's such an incredible promise that we will see God. This is not talking about necessarily, yes, we will see God someday when we enter into his kingdom. But we can see God right here on earth. We need to see God. I don't know about you, but I need to see God to function and to navigate through this life. And we're not going to do it without his eyes. Because otherwise we're going to stumble and we're going to fall and we're going to keep tripping and we're going to keep falling and making mistake after mistake after mistake until we come into his presence and say, God, here I am. Here I am, the good, the bad, and the ugly, here I am. I'm here in your presence. And God, I just want to know you. I want to know you. And so when we begin to get those eyes of God, how much differently the world looks how much differently we see things, how much more we understand his plans and his ways for our life. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, Eyes have not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We want to try to see God on our terms, but he wants us to see him on his terms. This is the reward this is the reward in what happens when we pursue God and when we pursue purity in our life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Psalm 73, 1 says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in their heart. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come back up. And You know, this message was a, a struggle for me. And not, not in a struggle that I was afraid to come up here, but it was a struggle because this is a difficult topic. Because I think it's very easy to make a message like this become very legalistic, to become, make it become very much about what we do instead of who we are. And I've really struggled because, initially struggled with how to really present this because this is something that, this is not just a word for you, this is a word for me, that we all need this. There's, there's something about pursuing a purity in the relationship we have with God. And I, I want to be careful that what I want you to really take away today is to understand that it's impossible for me to live a pure life on my own. It's impossible for me to achieve something. It's just like those towels. You know, they're beautiful and white when I bought them. But when you start to use them, they're going to get dirty. They're going to get, they're going to get dirty, just like life. Even when we make that decision to follow Christ, we are still going to have struggles. It's still going to be work. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that we give up. We get up and we keep coming back to the Father. We keep coming back into His presence. And what Jesus is asking here, what he's telling them is, blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those that come to me real. 
Blessed are those that come to me humble. Blessed are those that come to me and they're just who you are. I'm not asking you to be anything different than who you are right now today. I want you to come with a genuine spirit. I want you to come because you want to be here. I don't want you to come with a motive. I don't want you to come with any with an agenda. I want you to come because you want to be right here in my presence. And I guarantee you, if you come with that type of attitude and that kind of purity of heart, you will see God. You will see God. And church, it's time that we get ourselves alone with God. There is so much distraction in this world that takes our focus away from God. And I know the other night I was just really like, when something's hard, I avoid it. And I sat down, I started reading, then I would get up and I'd go to something else. And I just kept jumping up and down. And finally I thought, stop. You've just got to stop and focus. And I have those little AirPods, and I put those AirPods in. And I put that song on Jira, you know, the one we've been singing, you know, Lord, you're enough. And all I could hear was those words, God, you're enough. You are enough. And something begins to happen when we shut out everything but God in our life. And we just allow him to come and to speak to our heart and to minister to our pain and to our struggles, to deal with those things in our life that we are trying to control. When we just kind of lay him down at his feet, Lord, I just lay it all down. I love that song we sang. Everything I have, everything I own, I lay it all down because it's compared to you, it's nothing. It's nothing. And so today, what I want us to do, I want you to stand with me. And I feel like this is like a message of like rededication, that I want to encourage you to do something today. I want us to rededicate our life. I don't want you to think about the last year of your life and what you did or you didn't do, okay? Because you can't change what's behind you, but you can allow God to affect your today and your tomorrow. And so what I want us to do today is I want us to pray a prayer of rededication. And maybe you've been saved for 50 years. Maybe you've been saved for a week. But there's nothing wrong with recommitting our heart and our life and our, and our actions to God and just saying, Lord, here I am. Everything that I think I am, Lord, I want to become what you say I am. So we're going to pray together. And then as we go into this worship song, I want you just to just block out everyone around you. That's really been my commitment this past year and a half is that to block out. Look, I don't really care what you think about how crazy I get on the front row because I don't do it for you. I do it for my father. And I'm grateful. And I'm thankful that he loves me. Even when I fail, even when I make mistakes, he still loves me. Church, that's real. That's real. And that's what I want you to connect with today as we, as we pray. And then as we sing, just don't think about who's around you. And I want you to really worship from your heart. You know what? Just begin to surrender. There's something that happens when we surrender. 
And just let God do something in your life today. So repeat this prayer with me. Father, I come to you just as I am. And I ask you to forgive me, to wash me, and to make me clean. And I ask you, Jesus, to be the Lord and the leader of my life today. I love you, Jesus. I want to pursue you. I want to pursue your goodness. I want to pursue your will. I want to pursue your plans that you have for my life. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together. Amen. Thank you, church.